Off Air with Joe and Oral is brought to you by UCLA Health, official medical partner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. I want you to remember that you've got to continue to play your part for Team LA. That means wearing a face covering when out in public, but it also means that every Angelino has to keep up with their regular medical care. So do your part for your own health, your family's health, and your community's health. Go ahead and book a doctor's appointment, schedule a video visit. We need you on this team. The people of Los Angeles have shown that we're resilient as individuals, but we're unstoppable when working together. From the frontline healthcare workers, grocery store clerks, delivery drivers, folks working at home, everybody keeping their physical distance, regularly washing their hands, we all play for Team LA. Visit uclahealth.org to learn more about how you can do your part. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Security Benefit. Every winning season is built on a strong team a team committed to executing a solid game plan. At Security Benefit, we want to help you and your advisor build your retirement game plan to help you stay committed during these uncertain times so that when it's time to execute, you know what you've got, a solid team behind you. When it comes to retirement, losing is not an option. Talk to your financial advisor to see how you can plan for retirement. Security Benefit is a proud sponsor of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Hey, we want to make sure we thank you guys for listening to this podcast. We're having a ton of fun doing it and hearing from so many of you that seem to really enjoy it and appreciate it. That means a lot to us. At one time in the world, you could send things out, but you really didn't get responses back. But we feel really welcomed into your earbuds and you guys listening to us. It's been a lot of fun. And when the feedback comes back that you guys are loving it, uh, it just encourages us to really concentrate and open up ourselves. And so if you are a first-time listener, welcome. If you like it, make sure you go back and listen to some of the episodes that are already out. There's some really good ones. Clayton Kershaw was awesome. He was as introspective, I think, as we've heard. Cody Bellinger was a lot of fun. Oral, you give your take on the Astros scandal with a lot of passion. But hopefully some some good content. If you enjoy, enjoy today's episode, you can go back and hear all those. You know, when I think about what's gone on so far in these episodes from number one to now, here we are at number six, seven, eight, and on, off we go. Guys are really relaxed, and this is a different look on them, on baseball, and even their personal life. So it has been fun so far. And so on this week's episode of Off Air with Joe and Oral, our guest is Justin Turner. And as we do every week, we're going to visit with Dave Roberts, and he's got some thoughts on what Justin Turner may do after he retires. Yeah, all that and more coming up on episode six of Off Air. Hit it, Frankie. Justin, if one is perfectly content and 10 is out of your mind insane, where are you at right now? Uh, I'm climbing the ladder. Uh, it, it, it's, it's growing and getting higher and higher. I can't say exactly where I'm at. I'm you know, definitely restless. Um, it's helped that I've been able to you know, get outside to a park and play catch. They've kind of relaxed some of the stay-at-home orders here. So, And that was actually an activity that was on the list that's okay is playing catch uh, with a baseball or a softball. So um, <laughs> that little aspect of it helped. I, I got to stop throwing a ball into a net from about 40 feet in my backyard and actually got to go play catch with BMAC, our trainer. So, um, but yeah, it's it's tough. You know, it's, it's tough sitting at home. It's uh, good to get to watch KBO baseball um, and get a little bit of a fix. Uh, but it, at the same time, it's disheartening that, you know, we're not the ones out there on the field playing. Hey, well, what's this like for a big league baseball player, one who is pretty recognizable with that red beard of yours to play catch in a public park? You get some sideways glances and double takes. Uh, yeah, I, I, it wasn't too bad, actually. You know, me and Jock, 
went up there and met Brandon McDaniel to play catch um, one time. And then me and Brandon went up another uh, when Jock couldn't make it. And uh, there were some fans there. The parks were, uh, it wasn't crowded, but there was a lot of people there. There was a lot of families. There was uh, people out picnicking, doing yoga, getting workouts in, um, all kinds of stuff going on. Um, and, and there was a few fans and, and mostly it was, you know, man, we miss you guys. We hope to see you back. Or, you know, is there going to be a season? We need our Dodger baseball. So, uh, it wasn't overwhelming. Uh, it was actually pretty encouraging to hear the fans just, you know, and how much they're missing it as well. You know, Justin, it just struck to me that you're out playing catch and you're like, this is the first time. And wow, this is great some competitive advantages for guys that live in other States where it's been open for a while and they've been allowed to do stuff, even go over to a ball field and play catch or take BP at a field. Uh, It's a little different being in California here in Nevada. Things are a little looser. Our restaurants are open. I've actually made reservations at a couple and are going to attend this weekend. So it's a little different for Californians. Can I make a guess? Carbone? Uh, no, because the strip <laughs> restaurants aren't open, but very good oh, guess since we've been there. Yeah. Uh, Pete Mastriani's, we're going to go to Mastriani's, a great little Italian place on a, in a little strip mall and it's the end nice. store, which is cool. And, uh, he, I've been in there to look at it and they've got the tables all social distanced away and it's, uh, it looks like it's going to be very safe. Well, that's all good for you. That, I'm definitely missing that and missing like just going out to a dinner and not having to meal prep and not having to do the dishes after, uh, honestly. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> to your to your point, to your question, it's actually kind of weird for the Dodgers because, you know, we have a handful of guys in Arizona. And Arizona is super relaxed right now compared to California. So uh, we have guys that are getting into the cages and hitting and, you know, going and playing catch outside and whatever. And they're in, in small groups. And there's still social distancing and, and being responsible about it, but they're actually allowed to do that. So we have like, you know, it's kind of broken in thirds. You know, we have a third of the team that just went home and then a third of the team that's in Arizona and then a third of the team that's in L.A. So um, have yeah, you ever thought I, I, about going there and joining them or as we get closer? You know, let's listen, say I, we get a week out and California is still pretty stringent. I called Andrew a couple of days ago and said, Hey man, should I just go to Arizona and, and be able to do more stuff? And, um, he just kind of laughed and didn't really give me an answer in true Andrew fashion. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's gone through my head. You know, we have our condo out there. We actually stayed in Arizona for a couple of weeks after spring training was shut down just because, um, we didn't know, you know, what this was going to be or look like. Um, and, and it has gone through, you know, our minds. And we've had, had conversations about even just going out there for four or five days, uh, you know, check on the condo, go out there, um, courts feeding to do a workout class, not in our house. So they, they opened the workout classes yesterday in Arizona. So, um, yeah, that's a conversation we've had and obviously, you know, want to be safe about it and, and make the right choices. And, um, but at some point, you know, if there's going to be a season, we're going to have to get things going. And MLB's talked about getting this proposal passed along to the players. I know you've not seen that yet, so we'd just be kind of talking rumors at this point. But from your perspective, what does this need to look like for it to be realistic and for you personally to feel safe going back and playing? Yeah, that's hard to say because, you know, I I could speak for myself, but that's one of 1,200 guys in this union. And Uh, There's so many guys with so many different situations and um, families and health conditions. So, uh, you know, selfishly, I, I don't have any regards. I'm ready to hit the ground running as soon as whatever happens happens, but you know, we don't have a proposal. They haven't sent us anything. So it's hard to kind of speculate on what we need or don't need when we don't even know what they're throwing at us yet. When you think about or when you talk to the other players, have any really had personal experience with the virus where you know then now they're coming from a different place where maybe you haven't had personal experience with the virus? So you might go into it a little bit more like, hey, guys, let's go. You know, we can do this compared to somebody else now interacts with you and says, hold on a minute here, Justin, or hey, hold on, Oral. I have two family members that have passed away from this. 
Yeah, exactly. And I haven't talked to anyone on our club that has had any personal experiences, or at least they haven't shared that with me. So again, even that, you know, we do have a, a group chat going between, you know, most of our guys. Um, and our group chat between our team is different than the other 29 group chats going through the other 29 teams. So it's just such a, 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 I mean, delicate situation, I guess. And it's, it's hard to kind of keep the guys calm and, and put out some fires when we're, you know, talking about rumors. So, uh, you know, I wish the rumors would stop and we could just wait until there's actually something concrete in our hands. But, um, you know, right now it's, it's just putting out fires and trying to keep guys calm until we actually get something in front of us. And, and hopefully we do get something in front of you and then we do get baseball when we do, it's going to look a whole lot different. I mean, we're just starting with nobody being in the crowd and maybe guys sitting in the stands, not even in the dugout. It's going to be like a, a parallel universe, eerie, right? Well, yeah, I think that's the one thing that we do know. We do know that when we start, um, there, there won't be any fans in the stands. And so that's one thing that is easy to talk about. Uh, and when I say easy, I don't mean like it's acceptable. I, I think it's going to be a very difficult situation because our fans especially Dodger fans are the best fans in baseball and we have you know four million people and lead the league in attendance and we feed off their energy and um, you know they bring it every single night in the Dodger Stadium Um, so it's some it's definitely going to be an adjustment that we're going to have to make and get used to and and learn how to play without that adrenaline and when you're squeezing in uh, you know whatever the season's going to look like we don't we still don't even know what the season's going to look like we still don't even know how many games we're going to play so we don't know if it's going to be double headers. We don't know what that's going to look like, but trying to squeeze in a bunch of games in the middle of summer and without fans providing that extra spark of adrenaline uh, is going to be interesting for us. So we're going to have, have to find new ways to motivate. How can we make it less weird in the stadiums with no fans? You play music. Um, <laughs> well, it was funny on, on our zoom party the other night, we had a, a little conversation joking around with, with Walker saying that Oral's going to be calling his pitches from the booth. Cause he could hear him. From, <laughs> he's going to be able to hear him from the mound, but yeah, there's been some interesting things, you know, obviously paying attention to the KBO and, and the league that's going on in Taiwan. And I know Taiwan in the beginning was actually putting up. Um, and I think they might've started doing this in the KBO too. They were putting up like cardboard cutouts of fans in yeah. the stand. So at least it looked like it. And then, you know, I don't know what the production was like, whether or not they were pumping in like, crowd noise through the stadiums which you know some some teams probably do that anyway uh to try to get an advantage but um you know stuff like that i think i think it would help uh someone on the call the other night and and joe i I don't remember you you might have to remind me said or suggested playing music during the game like in the nba so like there's just music constantly playing and going on and uh i mean there's all kinds of ways to try to make it fun and entertaining and we talked about um, you know, in-game interviews and guys wearing microphones and stuff like that that they do at the All-Star game to try to, you know, interact with the fans. I, I think, you know, we'd be open to that and, and seeing how that goes as well. You know, I think about, you know, playing without fans, but then I think about, you know, just watching you guys coming together in the locker room every day and how handshakes and hugs and creating energy. And then after a hit, you know, the signal you make from second base, you know, whatever it is into the bench and then guys going crazy after a home run, that is even going to be a different level of not having chemistry than having fans cheer. Well, yeah, but I guess you can look at it as it's going to be even more creative ways of of (laughs) figuring out how to celebrate. So maybe we'll bring the bubble machine back. Maybe we'll bring some, some of the old stuff back that we did in the dugout. And uh, you know, who knows? Like you said, you, I mean, obviously high-fiving and, yeah. and hugging is something that, uh, you know, happens a lot in, in baseball. And um, it's something that we're going to have to figure out a way around and come up with new ideas to, to you know, celebrate one another and the accomplishments that we have, you know, in-game, post-game, uh, all that stuff. Fill the bubble machine with like some sterile liquid that when it hits you, the bubbles pop, they, they kind of sanitize you. Clean you, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, another thing that we know pretty much for sure is there's not going to be as many games. How about the dynamic of a sprint? How different is that going to feel on a daily basis 
compared to the grind of 162? Yeah, it's definitely going to be a sprint. Um, obviously, cutting the well, I mean, we don't know again, um, but it looks yeah. like cutting cutting the season in half. And um, so you don't, you know, I think back to 2018 when we got off to that slow start, and you know, it literally took 163 games for us to make it in the season. You know, we're not going to have that luxury. And so, you know, it comes down to thinking about, okay, what can we do? How can we get ready? How can we we prepare? How can we be ready to hit the ground running? But then you also, you know, sit back and look and like all 30 teams are in the same boat. So no one's really at an advantage here. We're all kind of in the same situation. So um, I guess you just have to trust your guys that they're doing what they're supposed to do and being responsible and staying in shape and ready to go. And uh, whenever, you know, hopefully soon MLB finally makes a proposal and stops just leaking stuff, I guess. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, our guys will be ready. Is there anything to slow start medicine? You know what to do so you don't have a slow start? Is there any procedures or it just happens? Yeah, I think it just happens. Um, I think the good thing for me is I'm getting the silver lining in this is I'm missing April, which is my historically my worst <laughs> month of my career. So uh, you know, hopefully that just means it'll be a, a, uh, one of the best seasons of my career. You get to cut out you, that. You're really good that. in June though. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to win new cactus league MVP this year. I know. I'm, I, yeah, I, I'm happy. I'm happy to miss April and sad to miss June. So, uh, hopefully it'll be a good July. Yeah. You've, uh, you were, we're talking about how this is going to look different. You had the idea of, deciding extra innings games with a home run derby. And I think the idea is not not zeroing in on that one thing, but it is just being open-minded about how we can use this year as a, a testing ground for different things and how we can, you know, try whatever out. What other things are kind of on your mind on ways that we can have some fun with this year and, and make it embrace how it's going to be different? Yeah, you know what's crazy about that home run derby thing is I think like some – statistic like two percent of games in the mlb go to extra innings and it got so much traction and everyone was like running with it and like either hating it or loving it and i was like man there's only a handful of games but the point of the home run derby was to was really to protect our pitchers Mm -hmm. not to not to have like uh you know i can't we're on air so not to have a measuring contest for our hitters right <laughs> to see like how far they can hit home yeah. got it chick it, it the was, long ball it, exactly <laughs> so it was it was more coming from a standpoint of protecting our pitchers and protecting our bullpens and protect, protecting our team and our roster right because what happens in a in a 15 16 17 inning game uh in a regular season is so detrimental to a roster and to a player and to his career uh getting sent down, not because he didn't perform well enough, but getting sent down because we need a fresh arm or two to cover us over the next couple of days uh, and how that impacts a team. Um, well, in a shortened season, uh, no team can afford that. So uh, I know that they're talking about, you know, expanding the rosters and having a bunch of players, which definitely makes sense. I think the Dodgers, uh, you know, go through anywhere from 55 to 65 players a season. So Uh, We'll see what that expanded number will be. I know they're talking about a DH uh, in both leagues, um, which would make sense in this situation to further protect our pitchers, uh, not for any other reason. Um, But again, like the safety, obviously the safety from this virus is important, but the safety from injury in cramming this game or this season into such a short window after a second spring training. So guys were ramped up and ready to go and then they had to bring it back down and now they're going to have to ramp back up and play in conditions that, you know, they're not used to. So hopefully we can figure out ways to, to protect, especially our pitchers who, you know, Tommy, Tommy John nowadays is like, like popping a, a, a Advil now. So I mean, so many guys are doing yeah. it and, and some guys are doing it just because they think it's a performance enhancement. You, you know, mentioned, so, the, yeah, you mentioned the percentages on the extra innings at 2%. And then if you take a percentage of games that end like in an inning or two after that, the 16, 17 game is a rarity. So there's other alternatives too, saying, okay, we'll play a 10th and then we'll call it a tie. You yeah. know, major league baseball could do something 
other than the home run derby, even though I think the home run derby was a very cool idea and it would put a lot of pressure on a coach or the designated pitcher for the home run derby. And that person probably wouldn't even be on the roster. So it'd be interesting to have a non-roster organizational person all of a sudden be responsible for partly for a win or a loss. Yeah. And, and, you know, it ties definitely a possibility. It happens uh, in other sports, but I don't think, I don't think, you know, anyone shows up to the field for as long as we do and wants to go home with a tie, you know? Uh, So that's why I had said, you know, you play one extra inning uh, regular, not with a guy in second, Mm -hmm. regular. And then if it ends there, you have a home run derby. And what it does is it, it brings a home run derby essentially to every ballpark, which, you know, you know, it's been 40 years since the Dodgers have had a home run derby or an all-star game here. So now you're going to get to see a home run derby in Dodger stadium. And you're going to get to see guys like Mike Trout and Albert Pujols and John Carlos Stanton. And, you know, guys that you want to see in the derby that might not, you know, be willing to do it every year in the all-star game, they're going to be doing it because, you know, they want to help their team win a ball game. It's a very interesting scenario. And you know what, it would lead all the highlights after, you know, when they go over every game on sports channels, it would lead the highlights. Okay. In Houston, in, in San Francisco tonight, there was a home run derby to, you know, and that would lead you right into all the other highlights. Well, Andy, think about to, you know, trying to keep uh, fans involved and engaged and, you know, fans are going to stick around if there's the possibility of a home run derby. I know Oral, you're you're a you're a big hockey guy. You've got season oh. tickets to the Knights, and you've yep. been kind enough to invite Court and I out to a couple <laughs> games to enjoy those with you. But like that build up oh, in, yeah. in a close game, like we we want to see a lot of goals, and goals are fun. But that build up when it's a close game or a tie game, and we know that there's a possibility of shootout is oh, exciting, yeah. and you stay because you want to see that shootout midway through the third happens. period. If there's a one goal differential, we're like, Oh, even if it's against the Knights, it's okay. If they yeah. score, <laughs> let's beat them <laughs> yeah. in overtime. I would love to see the three on three too. So yeah, the three on three is phenomenal. Yeah. But yeah. you know, I would like to ask you oral, like, you know, one of my, I guess things that I don't like about the proposal with a guy on second for extra innings is how statistically that's going to affect the game and affect the pitchers. Like does is that run earned? Does that go against FIP? Yeah. Does that go against all the stats? Because we're compensated now based on right. stats. It's all goes to stats. So is that a run scored for the runner? Is that an RBI for the hitter? Is it a loss for the pitcher that's pitching? Does the does it go against his ERA? There's so many questions and there's so yeah. many things that I don't like about it. On top of the fact that even if there's a runner on second, that doesn't mean that it's not going to be a 16 or 17 inning game. So you're not actually shorting it. Like you still got to find a way to drive that guy in. Yeah, I think you could take the stats from that inning and put them in a separate category. And I think guys could get end up getting paid more uh, because they did so well. And guys would go, wow, this guy does great under pressure with a man on second and extra inning games. Or a guy could get less of an opportunity for jobs and roles in that and not get the stats in the future or on that year. It'd be interesting. It's a, I like your idea. I like the home run derby because it feels like you're altering one side of the coin when you put a guy on second compared to flipping the coin over, you yeah. know, you flip the coin over and just go, this is not the game we're playing. We're going to overtime. It's home run derby compared to, Oh, let's finagle with the game we have and confuse people about this a little bit. So I, I almost like the, the, the drastic change moving to a home run derby. Yeah. And I think just people need to keep in mind. It's a suggestion for this year. It's a one-off idea. Right. It's not right. a permanent like I'm a, I'm a purist, right? Like I don't, I hate the changes that baseball has made. I hate the slide rule at second. I hate the slide oh, yeah. rule at home plate. I don't like the clocks in between innings telling guys when to go. I don't like, you know, the replay necessarily, even though I do think it's good to get it right. But I think the replay's gotten so stretched and out of control for whether a guy's fingernail popped off a base or not, they're using it for the wrong reason. So um, you know, I, I want to keep the game the way it is and, and continue I'd to love, play it. Yeah. I'd love to get your take on this suggestion I have on the second base and third base on the slide. If you beat it and you're safe and you pop off the bag, as long as you don't attempt to go to the next place, just like first base, because you guys are risking so much injury and lack of speed to get to the base now and all the different things that you've learned on competing. Uh, I'd love to see it if you don't try to advance to the next base, even though you beat the throw, beat the tag, uh, and come off, you're you're not out. 
Well, I'll tell you this much. Uh, I do like that idea because, you know, on the flip side of it, what this is doing for the position players is it's putting us in a bad spot. And I can't tell you how many times at third base I've been knocked on my butt or knocked in the third base coach's box because I have to stay in there and hang in and make sure I actually put the tag on the guy. Uh, I remember a few years ago in Arizona, I don't know if you remember this oral, but I actually, uh, I think it was AJ Pollock actually slid into third and cause I had to hang in and make sure I actually tagged him. Was that your he thumb? spiked, he spiked my finger and yeah. cut my finger open. Right. I had to come out of the game. So, I mean, the whole thing is you, you want to talk about protecting players or whatnot, like, okay, like I can't just like go in and make the tag and the guy's obviously out by 10 feet. Like I have to actually hang in there and touch the guy. And now I'm putting myself like the whole thing is ridiculous. I think it should be a, a common sense thing and not a, not a matter of fact. And shift gears a little bit on you, Justin. Can you believe this is going to be your seventh year with the Dodgers? No, it's wild. It's wild. I, I can't believe, uh, you know, the turn that my career has taken from the time I, I put the Dodger uniform on. And, and, and actually from the time, you know, a week before I put the Dodger uniform on, not even knowing if I was going to have a job, um, you know, so uh, it's been a wild ride. Uh, I'm so lucky to, to have the opportunity to, you know, come to this great franchise and the history and the players and the guys that have donned the uniform before me and absolutely you know paved the way for all of baseball uh through wearing a dodger uniform and it's something i don't take for granted it's something that i cherish every time i get off that elevator and i walk through that you know um that hall of fame essentially that we have to walk through to i shouldn't say have that we get to walk through uh to go to the clubhouse every day and seeing the history and enjoying it and uh, man, I, I got so lucky uh, to get this opportunity, and, and I, I count my blessings every day. And not just a guy who appreciates baseball and appreciates opportunity, but we're talking about a Southern California kid laying on his grandparents' floor, watching Gibson hit the 88 home run. I mean, there has to be, on, on a daily basis, pinch-me moments for you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just uh... – I mean, you brought up the Gibson Homer and then, you know, getting phone calls and text messages from Gibby, uh, you know, when doing stuff, I, I hit the Homer against the Cubs on the same day that Gibby hit the, the yeah. Homer in the world series. And, uh, he was one of the first guys that had reached out and, and text me and, uh, you know, Gibby, Gibby was actually, you know, our enemy for a little bit managing the diamondbacks. And, right. um, it's, unfortunate that he you know obviously is no longer there but it, it's been great for I think a lot of the Dodger players and the Dodger organization because he's kind of rekindled that relationship and I, and Oral I don't know how it's been for you you know when he was managing in Arizona but um, you know I didn't talk to him when he was managing over there even though I knew what he meant to to the Dodgers and to me and the Dodger organization because he was trying to kick my butt and I was trying to kick his butt <laughs> but uh, you know it's been great that you know, he's not there anymore and, and he's doing well, his health's great. And, and that relationship has kind of built over the last couple of years. Um, and it, it's been cool. You mentioned a week before starting your time with the Dodgers, didn't even know if you're going to make the team, but you go two years into it and you're still not an everyday player from the start of the season. What until your third year there? Is it as simple as saying the swing finally took hold and you got an opportunity, that's how this happened. How did you go from that guy not knowing you're going to be on the team to a role player to one of the faces of the franchise? How did this happen? Yeah, I think a lot of it was kind of the mentality I took. Um, you know, I was a role player for four years in New York, which was one of the worst teams in, in baseball. And I could have very easily, you know, been bitter and sour and down and uh, upset about not getting to play more, uh, you know, but I, I, I took the mindset of I'd rather be the 25th guy on a major league roster playing once a week or twice a week than the, you know, second or third guy on a minor league roster. I wanted to be in the major leagues and I was happy to be in the major leagues. I, I loved being in the major leagues and the same thing kind of happened with the Dodgers. I think I made those swing changes and I came over my first year in 14 and I had like still to this day, probably my best year of my career. I hit 340 yeah, coming steps, off the bench right? and yeah, it was, it was literally the most unbelievable year that I've had. And, um, 
but I was still in that role. And I was okay with that because again, like I would rather be, and I'm not saying I wasn't content or I didn't think that I could be an everyday player or I didn't want to play every day, but you know, the, the other side of it was, okay, I, if I want to be an everyday player right now, that would be in the minor leagues. <laughs> like right now, my role is to be a support guy in the major leagues and I embraced it and I enjoyed it. And you know what? I got lucky and there were some injuries and I got some opportunities that I was able to take advantage of. And, you know, you know, here we are today. You're, you're 35 now. You're still obviously playing at a high level. How much longer? I, I would love to play as long as someone wants me. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I know, I know uh, everyone has different opinions and everyone has different takes on, you know, where the game takes you and how you want to, how you want to be removed from it, whether it's removing yourself or, or whether it's letting, uh, you know, someone call you in the office and, and basically telling you you're done. And, uh, but I, I just love the game too much. I love being on the field. I love the guys. I love being around it. And uh, I want to do it as long as I can. And I'm going to work physically to be in shape for as long as I can to, to make myself available to someone. You've gone through so many different things in your career. And then we watch you and Courtney with your foundation and all the work you're doing even right now during the COVID. And wh- where do you find your fuel? You just, there's a positive energy around the two of you that it, you know, it sounds like one time you're working really hard to get to the big leagues. Next time you're a role player, then you're a star and you're an all-star and you're hitting home runs and getting texts from Gibby. And you haven't let this affect you the different areas that you, I could see being fueled when you're a minor leaguer and trying to get the big league. I can see being fueled to want to be an everyday player, but how do you keep it now? You, you have it. You don't have to keep giving it away or have it. Well, I think on the, on the foundation side of it and the, and the charity and community work, it's something that we've always had a passion for and something that I've always done everywhere I've been. And as the years have gone on and, and, you know, my roles have kind of changed into a bigger and bigger role and maybe a more recognizable role. The only thing that's changed really is the, the platform and I, I've, the ability to affect someone's life. So I think that, uh, you know, we want to make sure we understand our platform and we want to make sure we understand the impact that we can have on kids and their families and on homeless veterans and everyone and every person that we, you know, try to take part in. And, uh, it's something that, you know, we wake up on a daily basis, you know, again, just thankful that we're even in this position and wanting to give back and wanting to serve the community. And I talked about how great our fans are here in Los Angeles. And, you know, we get, we get dinged all the time as this isn't a sports town. This is an unbelievable sports town. You don't lead baseball in attendance and, and have 4 million people come through the gates if, if there's not sports fans here. And, uh, I say it all the time in all my interviews and, and everything, you know, I live here year round and it doesn't matter what month it is when you get in your car and you drive anywhere, there's Dodger gear, Dodger hats, Dodger jerseys, Dodger jackets everywhere, all over the city of Los Angeles. So, um, you know, I feel the support, I feel the love and, you know, court and I just want to reciprocate that and, and get back in the community and, and, um, you know, serve them as much as we can. Hopefully years and years down the line, when you have to decide what you're going to do after playing, what are you thinking about in that regard? Do you want to manage? What do you want to do? Oh man. You know, your, your weekly special guest, uh, you know, tells me all the time, Hey man, when I'm done managing this team, I want you to take over. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, that's a lot of pressure and I don't know what I want to do. But really cool too. It'd be great. We have great access to the manager. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I think it's something that I do definitely want to stay in the game in some capacity. I don't know whether that's, you know, on your guys' side in a booth talking about it or on the field. I know, you know, oral, you get, uh, kind of the best of both worlds. Cause you know, you, yeah. you on the field and spring training and around and still get to talk to guys on a daily basis in the season and, and, you know, and in the booth. So, um, we got a lot of conversations coming on advice, but I want you to play for a lot longer. But the one thing I can tell you right now you need to do while you're active and in the midst of it is learn every single avenue and build every relationship you can with every aspect, you know, from community service to the people who do the sales, to the ushers, to everything, because that'll keep your ability to move into anything in baseball. You'll be up to speed with all the different facets of the game, not just what's going on as a third baseman. 
Yeah, that's that's great advice. And I think it's something that I take pride in and, and, um, you know, is curiousness and Mm -hmm. curiosity and continuing to ask questions and continuing to turn over new stones and find out information and understand, you know, why things are the way they are and how things work. And um, it's it's honestly, I think, a a reason why I've made it as far as I am is because I, I do feel like I'm a curious person. And I know Dave talks about it a lot, wanting curious players. And I talk about it a lot. I've done some Zoom phone calls, um, you know, with our minor league guys. And I talked to UNLV uh, baseball team uh, last week, Oral, uh, mm-hmm. through my buddy, Corey, who you helped right. uh, get that job. And, um, you know, that was one of the main points I made is like, if you want to, you know, be a really good baseball player and make it far, you better start being curious and asking questions because the moment you think you have it figured out in this game, uh, it'll humble you in a heartbeat and, and, you know, you don't know if you'll recover from that. I think in any walk of life and in any career, what a great quality for, for anybody, what a great quality to teach your kids to be curious and always want to know more. I love that exactly. word because it feels like it's a little less work and a little more intriguing than, Hey, you need to study, you know, yeah. it's just on a daily basis, a moment by moment, you know, from, from, just anything you do in life or watching somebody else do something in life, be curious about how they're getting it done and what's going on. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's definitely a way to navigate it where it's not coming off the wrong way, but like if someone's asking you to do something, you should be able to ask why, why do you want me to do that? How is this going to help me? How is this going to improve my, whatever aspect in life I'm doing? I should be able to ask why do you want me to do it this way? And why not another way? And hopefully that person has an answer. And if they don't, then, it's probably not the right way to do it for me. Want to get to, to uh, just before we let you go. I know you've listened to a couple of your buddies on the show here, but we do this rapid fire segment at the end where the answer is going to be just one of your teammates' names. Um, <laughs> all right. Oral, Oral, do you have the list in front of you or should I fire them off? No, you got them all, yeah. baby. Okay. All right. Which teammate would you most want to be quarantined with? Kike. Which teammate would you least want to be quarantined with? Um, I think a lot of times I, the guy I, stands next to him. <laughs> no, I'd be okay with Seeger. He's boring okay though. <laughs> no, but he's got a great candy collection. <laughs> that one's tough, man. I like all of our guys. I, I love all of our guys. Uh, least quarantine, oh, man. I don't know. You can pass on this one. There. That's a team leader pass. for you. He's I, not going to rip on anybody. Guys. I love our guys. Who is the most likely teammate to get pissed off at something he hears Oral and I say live because there's nobody in the stands and you can hear us talking? <laughs> Who's going to shoot us a look like, come on? Walker Bueller. All right. I'm going <laughs> to stay like away it, though. from He's talking fiery. about Walker. Yeah, this guy has been on fire every day of the year, this Walker Bueller. Uh, best dressed just- teammate. Walker might just yell at you guys from the mound in the booth. <laughs> I could see Walker changing the ball with the umpire, and when he didn't like the next one, firing it into the booth. Yeah. That'd make That'd for good great. TV. Just Trevor, Trevor Bauer style, but the other exactly. direction. The other direction. Good. We'll bring our gloves. Who's the best-dressed teammate? Best-dressed? Um, well, unfortunately, he's not active on our roster, but it was, it was definitely um, Russell Martin. Oh, he was, yeah. Oh, yeah. And who's the last man standing in a Royal Rumble cage match? Royal Rumble cage match. Who am I not messing with? I'm not messing with... Oh, this is tough. Um, I'm going to actually... This might surprise you. I'm going to go with Barnsy, Austin Barnes. Wow. Yeah. So Cody Bellinger said uh, Baez, Mula. Oh yeah, but you have to make bias. That's what he said. Bad. Are we allowed like, to say that? To, completely angry. Yeah, you have to flip that switch. Like he's a tougher switch to flip. I think Barnsey's a lot easier to, and <laughs> and Barnsey, Barnsey pound for pound is is strong. strong. Man. He is. Yeah. yeah. He's a strong guy, and he's fiery, and he's yeah. I so got my money pound for pound strong. We know that, but yeah, I guess pound for pound a little bit crazy too. You got a oh, little, yeah. little screw loose oh, in? Yeah. Yeah. All right. I don't want uh, to say the... screw loose, but. <laughs> I said it. You didn't say it. <laughs> yeah. What's the, Justin, what's the best thing you saw this week? Best thing I saw this week. Okay. We talked earlier about going to the park and playing catch. 
with with Brandon McDaniel, our strength guy. And uh, when I rolled up, I heard music playing. And as I was getting closer and closer, it's getting louder and louder. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, there's groups of people having picnics and working out and, you know, playing like bocce ball or whatever in the park. And I'm trying to figure out where this music's coming from. And as I get up there to the park, on the other side of the park, I see a guy, he's set up in a chair and he's got like six speakers set up in front of him and he is just blasting music i mean and it was great like when i walked up he was actually playing uh it's a wonderful day in the neighborhood and it was just like (laughs) it was so fitting because they had just kind of relaxed these stay-at-home orders and people were able to get out to the park and like i said we were able to play catch finally and it was the perfect walk-up song uh you know to go to the park and play catch and you know, he sat out there for a while and was playing, I mean, Star Wars and Beethoven and Mozart and uh, wow. all kinds of music. And people were dancing and laughing and enjoying it. And it was just so cool. It was, it was such a it was honestly one of the like funnest, most joyful games of catch I've ever had because mm-hmm. this guy was just playing music and, and people were out enjoying like being outside. Really that cool. So sweet. And you know what? You have been a great, great, great guest and a great, great, great friend. And uh, we really appreciate your time. Thank you, Justin. I, I appreciate you guys having me on here. It's been good. Two weeks in a row, man. And we're, we're one more and it's a street. Yeah. Give Court yeah. a hug for us. <laughs> Give Court a I hug will. and a high. I will. Definitely. Hopefully we'll see you guys soon. Before we get to the skipper, Dave Roberts, just another reminder that today's episode of Off Air with Joe and Oral is brought to you by UCLA Health and Security Benefit. As usual, joined now by the manager of the LA Dodgers, Dave Roberts. Dave, what was the best thing you saw this week? Um, the best thing I saw this week was on uh, on Twitter. It was a funny little video of uh, this little, you know, probably a year old and her mom puts this candy fills this jar or this bowl of candy and has this little girl. And then she tells her to stay and don't touch it until I get back. So the mom leaves, goes out of the room and she's kind of like looking for her mom, talking to the bowl of candy. (laughs) Then she like fish eyes, the bowl of candy. And um, she's kind of talking to her mom and dad under breath. It is the cutest thing I have ever seen. And then her mom comes back, asks her if she's eaten any of the candy. And then she's so proud. She says she hasn't eaten any of it. And uh, so then she's allowed to eat it. And it was just, it just warmed my heart. So you guys got to kind of search that one. And I think uh, one of the Kardashians or the Jenner girls also ended up doing that with their daughter and did that deal. And lastly, Chad Chop, one of our coaches, tried that with his kid. And uh, <laughs> suffice to say, his son or daughter ended up eating the candy, which is hilarious. Oh, wow. Twitter is not always the, the the place to find good things. I'm glad you're finding some things to smile at on there. Oh, wow. <laughs> Oral, what do you got? Uh, the good thing is you guys know I am residing in Las Vegas during the quarantine, and so the restaurants have opened, and seeing people in restaurants and eating in a restaurant and making a reservation, and people are smiling. Uh, they're friendly. They're warm. They're neighborly which I think we really need right now. It's it's hard to walk down the grocery aisles or wherever you're shopping be, and keeping your distance. But then when you go to pass somebody and you don't get that smile, you need people to have some warmth now because your face is covered up and you can't show your expressions quite as much. But if you have a big enough smile that it goes past your mask and into your eyes, that's a good thing. Uh, what is the setup like in the restaurant? So they have the tables extra far apart and yeah, because if you're, let's say you're a 100-seat restaurant, you know, maximum capacity, then 50. Uh, they don't have people waiting in the lobbies. You're waiting outside, and they'll call your name and bring you in. So you're just going to, you know, maybe walk by another table to get to your table, but you're not going to be standing and waiting or standing at a bar or sitting at a bar and be close to people right now. Best thing I saw this week, good friends of ours, um, and actually this was last week, but we didn't get a chance to do this on last week's episode, so I'm going to share it this week. Good friends of ours have been trying to have a baby for years and have seen every kind of fertility doctor, have explored every kind of plan to make it happen, and they thought the chances that it was going to happen naturally were, were probably pretty small. Uh, the lockdown happens, and so all the clinics are shut down, and so they have to go back to hoping and praying for a miracle. 
Well, my buddy's out in the garage the other day, and, uh, and this is more than the other day. This is several weeks back now. But his wife comes out crying, running into the garage. They were pregnant. Wow. So oh, after years of, of hoping and praying and wishing for it and then thinking, gosh, now it, it's probably slowed down again. We can't see anybody for a while because of the lockdown. It happened. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's, that's great, great news. That that's good. Yeah. One. That's a good one. I think that tops uh, uh, my my Twitter, um, you know, view and, and even Oral's. Uh, well, yours is the outcome of the pregnancy, dinner. and mine is just going to the restaurant, maybe <laughs> for a little go, romance then, yeah. to get the pregnancy. <laughs> Way to tie that in. Nice yeah. job. Well done. I knew we brought you around here for something, Oral. This uh, we we had a great talk, Dave, with your third baseman Justin Turner, uh, just a little bit ago. One of the things that we asked him was, what is next? And I know he gets asked that frequently because he's one of those guys where it seems like he can do whatever it is that he wants. His response was, well, guys, it's funny you ask that. Doc tells me, I want you to manage this team when I'm done. Yeah, I, I think for me is, you know, I can I can think about things. I, I can't you know, I can write a script, whether it really comes to pass, obviously that is not my decision, but I just think that, you know, Justin is a guy that, you know, I don't know how long uh, I'm going to have the luxury, the opportunity to do this. Um, but I think that somebody who understands the Dodger organization, the history appreciates it is from Southern California played for the Dodgers, um, is, is forward thinking, um, but a grinder that fans can associate with, uh, and he just connects with media. You know, he he can manage. Uh, you know, above, I think he he will connect with the players. So, yeah, for for me, I I joke with him all the time, and not that I tried to shorten his career by any means, or but yours. I, but, oh, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or right, right. That's fair. <laughs> but but I do think that for me, I would love to see that transition. That would be amazing. Can you think of a manager that has had a beard like Justin's? I'm trying to think. He would have to curtail and kind of <laughs> tighten that beard up. So that that whole look plays as a player for sure. And if he, but uh, I don't know. You never know. Justin might uh, let that red just keep flowing. You never know. He went up to the broadcast booth. He'd have to trim it just to get the mic in front of his mouth and not have all the scratching going on. Yeah. <laughs> I see you guys often, Dave, during games next to each other. Is is that something that over your now four years on the job – You've done more and more where he's it's kind of like an apprenticeship for him. And I, I know you don't want to say that it is for him, but I said the word apprenticeship. Is he really kind of nestled against you and tried to learn from you? Does it seem like he he's learned? You know, it's it's interesting. He's not only just learns from me or tries to learn from me. He learned from other players, whether teammates or opponents. He learns from other coaches. He learned from Andrew and guys in the front office, uh, guys in the R&D department. And, and so I think for me, it's not necessarily specific to me. He's always trying to be that sponge and, and learn every facet of the game of baseball. Um, so I think that's something that for me uh, shows leadership, certainly. It's fun to see it down there. I remember I didn't know if I was bothering Tommy or bothering Bobby Valentine or Mike Hargrove, but I always wanted to sit down on that end. And if if not participate in those conversations, overhear the conversations and learn at least. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you this, is and some of the things that I tell our players, and, and you can watch, uh, whenever you watch a major league game um, and you see um, guys at the front of the dugout towards the manager and the coaches, some and then guys in the middle, and then you see other guys on the back at the end of the dugout on the bench and during innings, and I, and I just encourage our guys to be those guys because when you look at um, other superstars and that know the game, whether it be Mike Trout or Clayton Kershaw, those guys are in the middle of the dugout. Uh, our, a lot of our guys are fighting for that space in the middle of the dugout to watch the game and be engaged. And I think that Oral, you know, you and Tommy had such a great relationship. So I think that the thing that I also try to impress upon our players is me and the coaches, we're in it with you. So for us, for you to be hanging out with the coaches and talking shop and figuring out what we can do better, what you guys can do better, we're all in this together. So I think that we're to that point with the Dodgers where, you know, we've all been on different clubs where that defi- divisiveness and feels like I'm a coach's pet or a teacher's pet. That whole narrative is not helpful to anybody. So I think that Justin has done a great job diffusing that. So when Justin's down there or Clayton's down there talking to coaches, um, it's like, oh, it is okay to do that, and they are on, they are on my side, you know. So that's a good thing for all of us. Did you, as a player, do that with a future and managing in mind? I, I you know what, I did not. I did that to get 
what I felt that if I could talk to coaches and obviously the manager is involved in the game. So it's not, you don't have his ear as often, but I try to talk to coaches, uh, manager, you know, in batting practice, because I think that I wanted to think with the coaches and the manager and understand that. So if I were to get signs or strategies and try to understand where, where they were coming from. So when a guy comes out of the bullpen, when you're in the outfit and you go to center field and you're going, why the heck is he bringing him in? So the more you start talking about that with the coaches and the pitching coach, you understand, oh, because so-and-so, you know, they pitch two days in a row, they're probably going to be down. So you start understanding how things work. And then also, like when you're in the batter's box, I know when a guy, when Bruce Bochy or Jim Tracy wanted to give me a hit and run or a stolen uh, steal sign or things like that. So you just kind of get ahead of it if you can think along with them. I just it's it's pretty amazing to me that uh, Justin brought up the word curious and but you also use that tool with a guy like you did when you had Alex Verdugo as a learning experience to kind of hone him in on how to think baseball and what to look for. Absolutely. And this game has gone so much younger and this is as much talent as as I've ever seen um as far as, you know, collectively. And the thing is, is that these players haven't had the game experience. Because I remember when I was in the minors, they, they want to get 1,500 at-bats, call it 500 innings as a pitcher. Then you're kind of deemed ready at, to be a big leaguer. But now that's considerably shortened. So now when you get a guy like Alex or, um, you know, Gavin Lux, all these guys, yeah, you want to kind of teach him as much and understand the big league game because the, it's not about talent, but it's about understanding how major league players think. And, and so it helps you be more consistent because a lot of these guys just kind of got there on, on sheer talent. Some progress, it looks like this week, at least something tangible, Major League Baseball putting together a proposal that they're about to forward to the Players Union to go over and, and hopefully get us closer to having a season. I know you're not necessarily in either one of those parties, the you know, the players or the owners, but what have you heard and what can you tell us about where things stand? Yeah, you know, I, I think I've heard as much as you guys have heard, and it's so uh, dicey in the sense, uh, dicey might not be the right word, but it's so, because, and I'm talking about the players, on the, just the player side, you look at the, the, the range of player, whether your guys on the, the tail end that might have a year, whether it's like, you know, Ryan Zimmerman is, is a guy like that. Um, you have a guy that's a rookie that's trying to, you know, got a little bit of service last year. So he's just trying to get service time and, and play and continue to develop. You get guys like Justin, who's on going to be a free agent at the end of the year. You get Mookie. So there's a whole gamut of players that it's going to affect differently. And so, um, it's just going to be interesting to see how it plays out just to what wins out. But I think that ultimately, I think both sides are motivated and we need to play baseball. I think it's time for baseball to be uh, to be you know played again. So hopefully they come to some agreement. But I really I've heard that, you know, playoff uh, the playoff team format's going to be expanded like you guys from seven to ten teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. Yeah, right, I do too. I I love that, and I and I get that because it's more of a sprint. So to now kind of get other teams involved right. uh, in a postseason, I think that's great. Expanded roster. I've heard the DH, you know, the league wide DH. So I've heard kind of the same things you guys have heard. You ready to manage a fifty man roster? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is interesting though because the one thing we can't do is we can't start this season uh, if we are lucky enough to start it then to not finish it. Right. So. Now you're talking about whether it be injury, whether it be someone gets affected by, you know, the virus. So it's like you got to have backups. So whatever what that number is, 35, 40, 45, 50, I don't know that number, but I do think that they're very cognizant of that. The whole context of this having a delayed start to the season is completely different than really any other time because of other than 9-11 with the interruption. I think about both sides are really motivated. I mean, this is the country wants baseball. The country needs sports. This isn't a labor strife. No, it's not. And I and I think that the way it's been is you're looking at the country. And I will even say this. I think the country needs sports and baseball is it's our season right now. And I think that for me, selfishly, I want to get market share back. I want baseball to be America's pastime. And I love football. I grew up loving football and I love basketball. But, you know. I love the game of baseball, and this is an opportunity for us to get back into our fans, not only Dodger fans, but sports fans, um, to my point earlier, 
back in their homes. And I think that this is a great opportunity that we just have to, you know, we've already lost momentum because of this pandemic, but we can hopefully get that, get that back and, uh, you know, be a diversion and give some hope to uh, some people that need it. Well, I hope when we talk next week, we're a step closer to that. For our top four this week, Doc, Oral had this idea uh, with coming off Mother's Day, but Oral's idea was for not necessarily a top four, but four things about mom. How about yours? Um, one of the, and I don't want, they're not in any particular order, but, uh, you know, obviously with Mother's Day just passing and how much we all love our moms. And so for me, one memory for me is my mom, uh, teaching me how to drive. My daughter is almost 16 years old and she's out there actually, as we speak, driving with my wife uh, for the first time. I'm the one who's kind of taking the reins with that. So I remember my, my dad was actually in Japan on a, on a tour in the Marine Corps. So he had to spend a year away from us. So it was when I was kind of being 15 and a half, something like that. So my mom took her Toyota Corolla out stick shift for, you know, stick (laughs) shift. And we're out there in the back roads and she taught me how to drive. So that's something that I'll never forget. Um, she was a bowler when I was younger. So she used to do the bowling leagues and I grew up on different military bases. So I remember, you know, once a week we would go to the bowling alley and, I would watch her bowl and, and that just, she had so much fun with her friends and I would eat nachos and hot dogs and play video games and come back and watch my mom bowl. And I remember one time she bowled like a two fifty five something like that. Wow. So that was wow. really impressive. So she taught me how to bowl too. Um, and my mom cooking is another one. Just, you know, she loved to have us at dinner and, and uh, one really good memory that I, unfortunately have to i'm not proud of but there was many dinners where i would uh be at dinner and i'd be the last one at the table because i didn't want to eat my vegetables so (laughs) so her cooking was one part of it which i always loved and she could cook anything from japanese food to uh to gumbo Uh you know so that was amazing but i do recall many nights just looking at my asparagus just getting in my green beans just cold and just hoping they would disappear but they never disappeared (laughs) um and the last thing is just her coming to my games from soccer games when I was younger to basketball to football to baseball. And I remember a time at UCLA, I'd be in, I was in left field and my mom was, and I was like, God, is my mom watching me when we're on defense? I'm way out in left field. So I kind of like wave to her and she's sitting there waving back. And I'm like, after the game, I'm like, mom, you need to watch the baseball game, not just your son. And I go, I don't care about the baseball game. I just want to watch you. And and Uh, I just got the biggest kick out of it. That is so good. Thanks for sharing all those, Doc. And and as always, great to visit with you. We'll do it again in a week. And hopefully we have more tangible things to talk about when it comes to the 2020 season. All right, guys. Awesome. Good catching up. Way to go, Skip. Before we give you our top four, I want to remind you that Off Air is brought to you by Security Benefit and UCLA Health. Oral, this was your idea, as I mentioned, the the four things about mom. So I'm excited to get yours. That's, I guess well, since it's not really a, a four, three, two, one necessarily, we'll just go back and forth. A little, little ping pong here. What's your first mom thing? I thought of my favorite food that mom used to make and... It was her Christmas kuchen, which is mm-hmm. coffee cake, and it was fantastic with the cinnamon weaved in there and a special icing that she made, and we only got it at Christmas. Well, then I guess a good segue uh, to my first one, or, or I'll, I'll choose mine based on, on where you go. I think about Christmas mornings with obviously my, my whole family, but my mom and the cookie, the Christmas cookies she would make. And I think she'd be the first to tell you that there's nothing special about the recipe. It's a pretty simple thing. But I'm telling you, there's something about those cookies she makes that are extra special. To this day, they're my favorite Christmas cookies. I can't wait when I see my mom at Christmas to have a few of those. That's awesome. My second thing that I remember is uh, an event. It's uh, dancing with my mom at Dana's and my wedding. Um, she was surviving ovarian cancer at the time. She's a trooper to be there and be in good spirits. And she was just ho- so happy to see me that happy. So it was wonderful to dance with her and glance around the room at the rest of the family having a good time. Along those lines, I think about my mom's approval. 
and how much that's always meant to me. As far back as I can think about having those emotions, you know, being emotionally mature enough to to think about approval and what it meant to please mom and dad, and, and specifically my mom. I think about the first time she met my wife and the feeling that I had. I think like my wife had come inside, obviously then it was a it was a second or third date or whatever, and met the family. She had headed back outside. We were gonna go to dinner. And so it was just me and my mom in the kitchen before I went out to to join Libby in the car to go mm-hmm. to dinner. And I asked, what'd you think? And the response my mom had, she acted like giddy. Like she was just she just oh. loved Libby and she was so excited to meet her and and I will never forget the feeling that gave me. And there are countless examples of that mom's approval stirring mm-hmm. something deep inside me that means so much, but that one right. is particularly a uh, pointed memory for me. That's fantastic. Uh, third one that I wanted to talk about was uh, support and everybody would think, okay, baseball support. Yeah. All the way back to little league for sure. But a tangible way that she used to support us kids is I was born in Buffalo, New York, and then went to a lot of schooling in Southfield, Michigan, really cold winters. And mom would have her house coat on and go start the car, warm it up on the coldest of the coldest days to go to school, drive us to the bus stop, pile other kids in that were waiting for the bus into our car and keep everybody warm until everybody got on the bus. And she'd stay there and make sure we were safe. So we knew when it dropped below a certain temperature, mom was going to throw her slippers on, go out to the car, get the car all toasty warm, even before making us breakfast. How many kids are packing into this car? Well, it was a, a Ford Country Squire wagon, and it's us four kids, at, as we finally ended up with four, but at times it was two, then it was three, and then it became four <laughs> for us. And then uh, it was uh, probably another at least four. I mean, wow. the back people were there, and they got their books, you know, and we didn't have cool backpacks back then. You kind of took your belt off and kind of strapped your books a little bit if you had that many books. But uh, yeah, she'd pack them in. She wouldn't let any kids stand out there and stay cold. For me, support comes to mind in the same way it did for you. The easy one is all the games, right? She never missed a game. I played football in college in Wisconsin, and she and my dad and my brother and sister every single Saturday would make that trip, that drive from Michigan to Wisconsin or Illinois or Mm -hmm. Iowa or wherever we were playing, Minnesota in a given week. They would drive to be there, and and that's the end of my playing career after hundreds of games that she never missed leading up to that. So that's the easy one. But the other support thing that I think of is in my career. There was a quick moment when I was in college when I was looking at how competitive play-by-play broadcasting is as an industry. And I just wasn't in a good place. I guess an early life crisis like we all probably go through while we're in college. And I said, you know what? Maybe I don't stand a chance at this. Maybe I'll become a lawyer or I'll move Mm -hmm. home and, and coach football like my dad. And she said, stop. You're going to do what you've always dreamt of doing. How many parents encourage their kid to go make wow. two grand a month after you know, paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to put them through school? How many parents are going to encourage their kids to go make nothing because they trust that it's what they're meant to do? Well, my mom did. Yeah. That's, that's like a baseball parent when you go off mm-hmm. to A-ball after getting drafted and you're going to, I made $600 a month. My, my last topper for my mom, my mom's up in heaven and she had a 10-year battle with ovarian cancer that ovarian cancer finally won. But one of the last special dinners that I got to have with her was at the White House in the private quarters with Bush 43, where a few baseball people were invited to have dinner with President Bush and sit around and tell baseball stories. And you could bring one significant other. And I brought my mom and she wore a beautiful uh, aqua dress, the color of ovarian cancer. She had a whole outfit for ovarian cancer and was complimented on it by the the White House staff and and the president and Mrs. Bush and got to tell her story about ovarian cancer to the president. And uh, it was just a fantastic night to be able to take her to the White House. And I know that that color remains special to you because of that, mm-hmm. because that was her color. And uh, you often have it sprinkled in your outfits or in glasses. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing that. And then my, my last one, it's, it's impossible to segue from that. So my last one's no. a pretty simple one. Um, I used to have these imaginary sports teams, but my mom would help me take it a step further and she helped me make jerseys for these teams. We would go to Joanne Fabrics and buy fabric paint and we'd get a t-shirt, just a white Hanes t-shirt 
and we'd draw the outline of the number and the team logo and everything. I had probably, I don't know, 15 homemade jerseys that my mom painted for me. Um, wow. Just so cool. So I quickly get an image of you and Charlotte down on the floor making jewelry or making Ooh. a princess costume that I have seen in person and I yeah. have seen on your videos. I guess I didn't realize it while I was doing it, but maybe I was just doing what she always did for me, just in a, a little bit different way. What are you most looking forward to this week? Well, of course, more news about baseball. And with the relaxed state of Nevada compared to California, we're getting to enjoy a little bit more freedom here. So to see what that brings and keeping our fingers crossed and following the science of, of, of not reinfecting people. And hopefully we don't go backwards, but we're definitely part of the experiment here in Nevada. One of your favorite spots here in Pasadena, Smitty's. We're doing yeah. takeout from Smitty's tomorrow night. We're going to get the meatloaf, yeah. get some chicken. Obviously, you got to get the cornbread, so I'm looking forward to that. And then I was texting with you last night. Uh, going to start designing maybe an outdoor kitchen. I'm thinking we have, we have a beautiful setup out there. Probably right. not the smartest investment, but as much time as I spend out there, and I know the time's going to go down, how much I'm spending out there once baseball's back, but Love being out there. Figure I'm going to, you know, maybe try to design something to really do it right out there. Hey, I've been to your house. I know you got your man cave office, and now that's going to be your outside man cave. Yeah. Right. What is, so it can't be a cave if it's outside. What will it be? Well, a man? if you put a roof on it or if you put a pergola over it, you've got you to have some ventilation. So you don't, I don't know about a right. roof, but. Um, I just gonna I, give. I encourage you to get the graph paper out, take some measurements, have every square be equal to a foot or two feet, and kind of design it and lay it out different places. You can man cave it out. inside and outside. We're going to give manscape a new meaning. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Per usual, this is a lot of fun. Hey, wasn't Justin Turner good this week? He was really good, and you know that that's a simple interview, but. You know, it's fun to be with the Dodgers now that they've listened to our podcast and they're taking us on. And this is awesome. You know, yes, we're Dodger broadcasters, but, you know, we had to get through some of the weeds to go, let's do this together. And they're with us now. Yeah, it's awesome. And I think there's only one way to end this appropriately with the first official Dodger off air with Joe and Oral episode. Love you, buddy. Love you too. 